take a seat. Give you a moment to refine your Bibles as well. James chapter 5. Give the band a moment to grab their seats. Listen up sheets are available for the young ones and others at the back if you haven't got those yet. We need the Lord's help in all of life. Uh, and we need his help most certainly as we come to his word now uh, to understand what it means and to put it into practice in our lives. So let's pray to him as we ask for his help. <clears throat> Father God, we are weak. We do wander. Lord, cause us to listen this morning. May our heads and our hearts be distraction free. Help us not only to listen to your word, Lord, but to understand it, to know what it means. And by your grace, Lord, enable us to put it into practice in our lives, that each of us would live wholehearted lives for the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. Well, we began uh, this series a good few weeks ago now by asking uh, the question you can see there on the screen. How do we know if something is genuine? How do we know if it's authentic? How do we know if it is real? And then we followed that up with an even more important question, which was this. What does a genuine faith in Jesus look like? What does a real, living, faith impacting all of life, what does that look like for me and for you? You see, James's big purpose throughout this letter has been to encourage Christian believers to live wholehearted lives for God, that we wouldn't be half-hearted or double-minded as James calls it. We wouldn't live our life with, with one foot in God's camp and one foot in the camp of this world and just keep wavering between the two, but that we'd be all in, all in for Jesus in all of life. Do you remember that picture of the harvest back in James chapter 1 verse 18? This is what we read, he, that's God, chose to give us birth through the word of truth why why has god brought about new birth in our hearts why has god saved us well here's the answer that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created it's an old testament phrase which speaks about belonging entirely to god the first fruits of the harvest the first pickings if you like were set aside completely for god completely devoted to him and James says, so should it be for the Christian, our lives devoted entirely to God. And you see, here's the punchline this morning. If we're going to be those people, and I hope we want to be those people, if we're going to be those people who live wholehearted, all-in lives for Jesus, then we need to be a people of prayer. It's where James began his letter back in chapter 1, verse 5, with the prayer to ask God for wisdom, to live God's way. And it's where he now ends the letter this morning, in those last few verses that have been read out to us. Just, just scan down those verses, if you would, and, and see the focus on prayer. I need that in a minute. Verse 13, if, is anyone in trouble? Let them pray. Verse 14, call the elders of the church to pray. Verse 15, we have the prayer of faith. Verse 16, we're told to pray for each other. 
Verse 16 again, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And then in verse 17 and 18, we read about Elijah who prayed earnestly. Seven references to prayer in just six verses that we're going to try and summarize this morning under four main headings. And the focus is prayer. And here's our first heading this morning as we think about the praying individual. Have a look again at verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray, says James. You see, right from the beginning of this letter, it's been clear that we should expect trouble in the Christian life. It's not that it might come, it will come. Do you remember that back in James chapter 1, verse 2? Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Not if, but when. We will face trials in life, and those trials will come in all sorts of different shapes and sizes. Troubles that are common to every man and woman, because we live in a fallen, broken world this side of heaven. Disease, sickness, death, disappointment, unemployment, division within the home, whatever else it may be. Troubles that are common to every man but also troubles that are unique to the Christian believer because of our loyalty and our love to Jesus Christ. The answer to the question that James asked in verse 13 is yes, trouble will come at some point. James has already made that clear. His main aim now is to call troubled Christians to prayer. Anyone among you in trouble? Then let them pray. As we've just sung, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege it is, isn't it? To carry everything to Him in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? It's James chapter 1 and 2, isn't it? Trials and temptations. Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. When times of trouble come, go to God, says James. Go to Him. Take it to Him and talk to the God of heaven about what is on your heart. And of course, pray to God that He would take away those troubles from you. That is a good prayer to pray. But more importantly, as we learn back in chapter 1, pray for wisdom. Pray for wisdom to see all of life from God's perspective. Pray for wisdom to see the deeper work of grace that God is doing in our hearts as He makes us more like Jesus as we live through those different trials and troubles. And then pray again. Pray for God's grace and pray for God's help to stand firm whatever comes your way in life. We pray when life is hard. We also pray when life is happy. You see that verse 13 again? Anyone happy? Anyone got a cheerful heart? Let them sing songs of praise. You see, we sometimes find it difficult to pray when life is hard. But on the flip side, we often forget to pray when life is good. We forget what we learned back in James chapter 1, verse 17, that every good gift is from above. Every good thing that gives you real joy in life is a generous gift from your loving Father in heaven. So praise Him, says James. Acknowledge God's hand, yes, in your trials and go to Him then, but also acknowledge God's hand in the good things that come your way. Turn bad news into prayer and turn good news into praise. And if we do that, 
Every single day of life will be a praying day, won't it? Because every single day of life is actually made up of hard times and happy times, sometimes mingled together ever so closely. Hans' granddad went to be with the Lord yesterday morning, 11.30. Hardness, yeah, hard times, sadness, but wonderful joy. He knows the Lord. He's in heaven with his Savior now. That's life, isn't it? Hard times and happy times, sometimes it just feels hard. Other times it just feels wonderfully joyful. Sometimes they come together. Whatever your life looks like, take it to the Lord in prayer. That's what James says. Firstly, we have the praying individual. Secondly, we have the praying elders. Verse 14 and verse 15. Anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. These are verses that over the years have caused a considerable amount of debate. And the debate is centered mainly on what type of sickness James is talking about here. Is he talking about physical illness? Or is he talking about the sickness of the soul? Is he talking physical or is he talking spiritual? Well, the word itself literally means weak. It can be used of physical weakness or sickness, as it is on 18 occasions in the New Testament, mainly in the Gospels. But it can also be used of emotional weakness or or spiritual weakness, as it is on 14 occasions in the New Testament, mainly in the letter. So which is it? Is it physical Or is it spiritual? Well, it may well be that James actually has both in mind, so we don't want to discount that. That said, if I had to lean in one direction this morning, if you push me in one direction, I would say that James is talking primarily about spiritual weakness. And there's two main reasons for saying that. Firstly, because of the context. Last week, if you remember, this is what comes before. We do context. What's come before? What's come after? And last week, if you remember, we had the call to these persecuted Christians who were finding it tough, the call to be patient and to stand firm and to keep going because life is hard. They were spiritually weary and weak. And then at the end of the chapter, have a look down at verse 19 and 20, what comes after. James is talking about those who have wandered away from the truth or in danger of wandering away from Jesus and the call to Christian brothers and sisters to bring them back. To bring them back to Jesus so that their soul might be saved from spiritual death. Once again, before and after, it is the weak and wandering Christian that James has in view. But the second reason that I would edge in this direction, which I actually think is even more compelling, is the example that James gives of Elijah. If you look down at the end of verse 16, we read this. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And then James goes on to give an example of that from the life of Elijah. And there's numerous examples that James could have used. He could have used, for example, the the, the widow from Zarephath in 1 Kings chapter 17, whose son died while Elijah was staying at her house. And what was Elijah's response when that happened? 
Well, his response was to pray. I'm going to read from verse 20. This is 1 Kings 17, verse 20. Then he cried out to the Lord. That's Elijah cried out to the Lord. Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? And he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord. Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. What a good example that would have been. The prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective to bring physical healing even in the face of death. But that's not actually the example that James chooses from Elijah's life. Instead, he goes for a time when Israel were in spiritual disarray. They were wavering between following the one true God and following the Baals, these false gods. In James's language, they were double-minded, flicking between the two. And so Elijah prays. He prays firstly for a drought, and God answers that prayer. In judgment, God holds back the rains from the nation of Israel in order to wake up these people to their spiritual apathy and dullness, that they're wandering away from God to the Baals. And Elijah prays that the rain would be held back to wake these people up. And then we get that famous moment when God shows himself to be the one true living God, and he comes down in fire on Mount Carmel to show that he is God, and the Baals are not. And then Elijah prays again, this time for rain. And again God answers, bringing rain and restoration, not just to the land, but to people's hearts. Do you see the point James is making? Why he uses the example from Elijah's life. He doesn't use the example of a prayer that brought physical healing. He could have used that example, but he didn't. Instead, he used an example that highlights the power of prayer to heal spiritually, to bring God's wayward people back to a life of wholehearted devotion to him. And so if I was to paraphrase verse 16, I'd say something like this. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective in brackets to bring the weary, wandering heart back to God. Now, of course, that's not to say that God doesn't heal. God can heal. And God does heal, sometimes miraculously, physically, in people's lives. I'm just not fully persuaded that's what James is thinking about here. Either way, you've got to go away and do the homework yourself. Wherever you land this morning, is it physical? Is it spiritual? Is it both? Here's the deal. Whatever our issue, whatever our trouble, we should be mobilized to pray because of that trouble, right? That's the main point James is making. Have a look again at verse 14. Is anyone among you sick, in trouble, physically, spiritually? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. You see, one of the main responsibilities that God gives to leaders, elders in the life of the local church as they care for the flock is to pray for them. And so if you're struggling spiritually, says James, or indeed if you're struggling physically, because often the two actually come together, ask the elders of the church to pray with you and to pray for you. And maybe as you're sat there this morning, you realize that's something that you need to do? Maybe you're the one there in view in verse 14. 
Maybe you've been carrying trouble around with you for so long and you've never gone to someone and say, please pray for me. Will you take it to the Lord in prayer? Maybe you're weary of the troubles of life. Like those waves we thought about in chapter 1 that just keep crashing down upon the Christian. Trouble after hardship after trouble after hardship and you just feel like you're going under. Or maybe life is just, you're just overwhelmed with the busyness of life. There's just so much going on that you just feel suffocated. It's like, it's like your love for Jesus is being squeezed out of life. Or maybe like some of these readers that James writes to, your heart's actually been drawn elsewhere. Remember the foot in both camps, but we feel like we'd be drawn away from Jesus to the ways of this world. And maybe you two are close to throwing in the towel, giving up on Jesus altogether. If that is you, please do what James tells you to do in verse 14, which is to ask for prayer. Whether that's an elder or not, I don't think it has to be an elder. Maybe they're in a place where they can talk and pray with you spiritually, and they but just ask someone. If you're here this morning and something's going on in your heart and you need prayer, don't leave here this morning without asking someone to ask the King of Heaven to pray for you. That God would be at work in your hearts, healing you from the, the sickness and the suffering and the weariness and the wanderings of life. And the anointing with oil that James speaks about is a symbol, I think, of that prayerful concern. In the Old Testament, those who were anointed with oil were set apart for God. And so it is here. These weary Christians have been set apart for special care and special attention, and maybe even special prayer. Such was their situation and their need. And that call to prayer in verse 14 comes with a lovely promise attached, doesn't it, in verse 15. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. Literally, it'll save them. The Lord will raise them up. And there's two things I think we need to notice in verse 15. Firstly, the prayer offered in faith is effective. Can you see that? It is effective. And secondly, it's effective because of the one to whom we pray. It's the Lord that will raise them up. This is God's doing. In prayer, we simply lay hold of an all-powerful God who is all committed to restoring what is broken in this world. The God who threw the stars into space. The God who shaped the mighty mountains that, that brought the seas together like, like water in a jar. The God for whom all things are possible within the goodness of His character. And in prayer, we lay hold of that God and we ask God to do what we cannot do, be it physical or be it spiritual. As Dale Ralph Davis says in one of his commentaries, prayer doesn't change things, but prayer lays hold of a God who can change things. The circumstances of life maybe, and who through prayer changes you. Yes, God is at work in the world around us, in our situations and our circumstances, but he's actually at work in our hearts, changing us as we live through them. We just need to pray. We need to pray as individuals, and we need to call other people to pray for us. And then thirdly, we have the praying friends, verse 16. It's where Dubby's alluded to already. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other 
so that you may be healed. We've already seen, haven't we, back in chapter 1, the deceitfulness of sin and how easily our hearts can be drawn away from what is good and right to what is wrong. And when that happens, it doesn't just damage our relationship with God, it damages our relationship with other Christian believers. Just think about some of those failings that James has already drawn to our attention in the book of James. These are people who listen but don't obey. Remember the man in the mirror, they're happy looking at God's word, they just don't go away and do it. They discriminate, favoring the rich over the poor. They can't control their tongues. The restless evil of the human tongue, we cannot control that without God's help. They're prone to quarreling and fighting, and they're in love with the world. In fact, too friendly with the world that they're walking away from God. And these are just some of the things that are sapping their joy and causing them to be spiritually weak. Therefore, says James, confess your sins to each other. And pray for each other so that you may be healed. Like Dubby has done. doesn't need to happen in public like that. It might be one-to-one. But if you've wronged somebody in your heart or with your words or with your actions, don't hide from it. Go to them. Confess it. Go to them even this morning after this service and say, Brother, sister, there's something in my heart that was wrong against you and I just want to say sorry. I shouldn't have thought like that. I shouldn't have spoken like that. I am sorry. And pray for each other, says James, yeah? Put an arm around each other and say, you're forgiven, brother, and let's pray. Which in one sense sounds easy, doesn't it? To do that. But it's incredibly hard. Because in our pride, we don't want to admit that we've done wrong and we don't want to front up to other people. But unless we acknowledge our sin firstly before God, but also before one another when we need to, we won't know that healing and that wholeness that James promises here. It's crucial. Confession of sin, forgiveness is crucial to the spiritual health of a church. And that brings us lastly to our final heading this morning, prayerfulness and watchfulness. And it's with these words that James ends his letter. My brothers and sisters, If one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. God's heart and James' heart for weary, wandering Christians is clear for all to see. He wants them to be walking closely with the Lord. He wants them to know a sweetness and closeness of fellowship and communion with God. He wants them to stand firm and not just cling on, but to flourish through this life until we meet Jesus on that final day. In fact, the Apostle John in his third letter says this, and I hope this is something we feel in our hearts, I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. No greater joy, says John, and James could echo those words, I'm sure, to know that my Christian friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, are walking in truth and in love. That's what makes your heart sing, doesn't it? And James says, if you know someone, anyone, that is walking away from the joy of that communion with Jesus, then what are we going to do? Are we going to go after them? Is our concern for each other and for ourselves, 
what James's concern is here for these believers. And so two questions of application as we finish this morning. Firstly, I don't know, this may apply to you. Are you wandering from God? Even in small and subtle ways? Have you got one foot in God's camp and one foot in a camp of this world? But you feel that ever so slowly you've been drawn away from God's camp to pursue the pleasures of this world instead of the joys that are found in Jesus? If so, says James, come back to the cross. Come back to Christ this morning. Do it today. Look again at what the Lord Jesus did for you. He gave up his life. He didn't just just give a bit. God gave what was most precious to him. He gave his only son. He gave of himself on that cross. And he suffered incredibly for each one of us. Such outrageous love in order that we might know the forgiveness and the joy of walking with Jesus. Understand God's love for you again. And as you do, rededicate your life to him and say, God, I don't want you to just have a bit of my life. I want you to have my whole life, my whole being, because you are more than worthy of it all. As the Apostle Paul says in Romans 12, verse 1, in view of God's mercy, offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. In view of what God has done at the cross in Jesus for you, that's God's mercy. In view of that, give your whole self. That's your body, your all, all of yourself, all of the time as worship to God. Wholehearted devotion to him. If you're wandering from Christ, come back. And then secondly, will you be a part of God's search and rescue operation? Just like the mountain rescue team you can see there on the screen. That's the sort of church God wants us to be. If we see those around us, or if we think they're wandering away from God, they're going off the path, and that can be incredibly dangerous. Not just on the hills when you're walking, but in the Christian life, if we start veering and wandering from God, do we love each other enough? That's my question to us this morning. As you look around the room and you you see your brothers and sisters in Christ, do you love each other enough to go and call them back? Plead with them that they come back to cross, to the cross of Christ and keep walking in his ways and pray earnestly that they would do that because it's a work of God ultimately, isn't it? To bring people back to him. That he would be in the business of restoring wholehearted, committed faith in those who know him and love him. And that's what the book of James is all about, isn't it? Trials, temptations, wanderings, Sin, it all wreaks havoc in the human heart. But Christ has come to deal with it all, once and for all at the cross. And he wants your whole life now. And one day he's going to have it in heaven. And that's why heaven will be so good, by the way, because God will have your whole heart. And you'll know the fullness of joy. And we just want to be closer to that joy now, don't we? As we continue that journey in truth and in love until we see him. So just take a moment to be quiet maybe you want to use this time to pray uh, and to think about what the lord has said to you and then we're going to respond in song before we gather around the lord's table